tell me if this sounds like you. Ditching the rat race for financial freedom is your rally cry. Shaking off the hustle and grind mentality for time freedom makes you want to do a little dance. Creating a life where your money makes more money for you, now that's your jam. Why figure all of this out? More time with loved ones and the ability to make a meaningful difference in your world. Now that's what drives you. My name is Jenny Townsend. Now, let's up level. What's up, Podcast Nation? Jenny Townsend here, and thanks so much for joining me today. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. I spoke with a gentleman named Charles Senex, and he specializes in company valuation. And what that looks like for our short-term rental business is pretty dang exciting. And what I love doing, kind of my charge when I'm bringing guests on, I want to talk with other Airbnb hosts and those in the Airbnb economy that have done something really amazing. And I want to bring in others from the financial world and the real estate world to be able to get their insights as well. And here are a few of my favorite takeaways. And believe me, there are more, but here's just a couple. One, we talked about looking at the exit strategy from the get-go, how that's important. And then actually we kind of broke down a couple of different potential options of what that could look like for a short-term rental business. And then as you know, we've talked about this a couple of times in previous episodes, the revenue potential, the cash flow potential for a short-term rental can easily 25x a long-term rental, right? So how does that additional revenue, how does that additional cash flow affect the actual valuation of your property? If you wanted to sell your short-term rental as an investment property versus just on the retail market, your higher short-term rental revenue could dramatically increase your property values. And then thirdly, I'll definitely acknowledge that I've been more US focused in talking about Airbnb because that's what I know. But I also want to acknowledge our listeners that listen in from all over the world. Hey, I'm so glad you're listening. But then also there are some who want to invest in other countries other than the United States. Hey, have you ever wanted a vacation rental in the South of France or somewhere in Italy? That sounds amazing. How much business sense does it make? And what are the three things you need to look at before you actually start really doing any property research? So Charles will give you the three most important things to consider. And I can't wait for you to hear this. So let's go ahead and dig on in. Charles Sonnex is a professional investor, a former fund manager at Jupiter Fund Management. He has lectured at Cambridge University, made multiple TV appearances commenting on markets, and actively co-managed a London stock exchange listed investment trust. University educated in China, he speaks fluent Chinese and is both a charter financial analyst and a chartered alternative investment analyst. Welcome to Up Level, Charles. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here because I think what your area of expertise is in can provide, I think, a whole new level of professionalism for our listeners who are getting into the short-term rental market. And in a previous episode, I had talked about exit strategies from the short-term rent from short-term rental investments. So that could be either could you turn it into a long-term investment or could you just sell it if you need to get out of it? So more from a risk management perspective. But when we were talking about this episode and this interview, it came up that we could actually approach exiting from a short-term rental portfolio or even just one rental 
to build wealth. So as a business, right? So not just risk management, but then building wealth. So what would you say with that lens are some of the benefits and risks of selling rentals, like these short-term rentals as a business rather than just individually? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a good, good question. And certainly I think one that people should think about when they're getting involved in it right at the outset, right? It's so easy to think about um, the exit and whether it's property or any other financial asset, um, your, your, your ultimate return in terms of the capital gain that you made on sale is only as good as kind of what you actually do make on sale. It, it, it's no good getting involved in kind of hypotheticals all the time. In, in terms of exit strategy, uh, there's certainly a compromise there. It, it would be obviously far easier to kind of bundle properties up and sell them as a company uh, rather than individually. Um, but on the other side of that, Broadly speaking, most of the time you'll be able to recognize a higher valuation on those properties if you sell them individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've looked at a number of kind of pro- property companies over my time. What you typically find is that when properties are sold as a portfolio, uh, what happens to them is you get what's called a discount to NAV. Uh, the NAV is the net asset value of the, com- the company. And the concept of a discount is a very arbitrary a very arbitrary, cuffy, fluffy concept. Ultimately, kind of any financial asset, including property, should be ultimately worth uh, what its net asset value is. Um, but typically, purchasers, especially financial purchasers, so those that are not strategic and that those that are not kind of adding it on to a portfolio and where it's a good fit for a purely financial purchaser of, of your portfolio, they, they would often expect um, a, a discount, and, and that can that ranges very largely um, through time and geography. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you take some of the Chinese property companies, for example, so so a bit of background, a lot of my career I spent looking at Chinese property. It was not unusual for property companies in China to be trading at a discount of 50 to 70% of of their net net asset value. In some instances, it was even in excess of 100%. That, that sound now that's a very very extreme example mm-hmm. uh, and that example I simply I'm like, that that was really mostly reflecting that a lot of these property companies had taken on long-term liabilities that people didn't believe that they could repay over time the underlying assets were very liquid so even if you brought them if you wanted to then kind of try and arbitrage out that opportunity split them out and sell the properties individually it was difficult and, and quite often in these property companies you had kind of governance, regulatory, and ownership issues across all that. Now, in America, I don't know exactly what discount you'd expect there, but it, but I've, I'd certainly kind of say 5 to 15%, maybe even more, would certainly not be unusual. This, of course, changes if you've got a specific, if, you, if you've developed a kind of specific portfolio of properties that works extremely well in kind of a company's, in a strategic investor's portfolio. And what I mean by that, uh, if you're kind of selling to a REIT, um, a real estate investment trust, for instance, they can often justify paying far more than a purely financial in- investor. So if you do develop your portfolio into that, so certainly be very targeted in terms of who you approach to sell it to, and not simply opportunistic buyers, but people that can add further value to that portfolio. Interesting. So as you mentioned at the top of your answer, it's great to look at, at exit strategies from the get-go. So if someone wanted to bundle and then pursue selling to a REIT, is that, I mean, do you think that that is a viable kind of exit strategy to pursue from the get-go? 
Or is that just like it could be a happy accident depending on what the REIT is focusing on, the economic conditions and all of the other variables that we have no control over? Yeah, there's so many variables in terms of these ones because from the REIT's point of view as well, I know in a day, liquidity has a lot to play with it. If they're able to get cheap financing themselves, easily raise equity themselves, then they'll be very, very, very eager to put that capital to work. I think people often forget the REIT managers their typical their management fee, their own income, comes as a percent of their overall kind of asset value or net asset net asset value. So they're very keen as well to try and build their portfolio. It's it's hard to put a number in terms of what size you need to reach because obviously a lot of these REITs are are listed on on exchanges, and for those larger ones, you do need to have scale to make it worth to work to worth their time. But I'd certainly say if you Build a portfolio. Don't be shy about getting into Google, looking kind of looking at REITs. So it's like a leisure portfolio, Google leisure REITs, uh, and getting in touch. You'll very often find that these companies will be actively searching, and if you, you can often easily find um, contact details. So do get in contact and see if there's perhaps an opportunity there. Interesting. So what I'm hearing from the answer so far is, on the one hand, it would just be probably simpler to sell your rental individually versus bundled as a business to to make sure you get the most out of each sale. Or you could potentially, on the other kind of extreme, package your portfolio up to try to sell to a REIT. Like it really, those those kind of seem to be, if you're looking for the maximum outcome for the for the transaction like exiting, those those seem to be the best or the two most potentially profitable options. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my view would be all, all else equal, if you have the time to sell them individually, because unbundled, you will be able to recognize greater Great, greater value. And that incidentally just doesn't just go for, com- for property, often with companies even, and you've seen this increasingly true with the emergence of more and more activist investors, um, often the sum of the parts of the company will be worth more than they are kind of collectively put into a kind of listed vehicle and publicly listed. And so in quite a few of activist invent- investor scenarios, they're going along to management and look saying, look, sell X, Y, and Z off. And, and you'll be able to recognize greater shareholder value. Um, that principle equally hold, hold, holds true often for property portfolios. Well, that definitely makes sense. So you had mentioned, and I've been reading through your site and reading about this book that you've recently published that we'll definitely talk about. And you've mentioned that there are different ways to value a company. And, and we can, I mean, obviously we're approaching our short-term rental business as a company, right? Professionally, we're entrepreneurs here. Which valuation techniques do you think would work well for property? So in the book, I split split them out into two core kind of ways that you can value a company, and that's relative um, or intrinsic. So relative to in the context of property would be looking at price per square foot, um, would be looking at your, your rental yield, for instance, and, and that's comparing it to other properties around where you are. Um, intrinsic valuation is is far more often used by kind of professionals, um, public equity managers, et cetera. And you're, you're not saying that the property's value is tied to what others are trading at around it. You're saying that it's valued is what it can generate in terms of returns and adjust, uh, as, as they put it, adjusted discounted cash flow. For property, that's often calculated using what's called non, sorry, net operating income, where you look at the revenue of the property and then subtract all the expenses, maintenance expenses, uh, kind of just long-term guesstimates and what those are. And you get to a, a, non, a net op- 
operating income number. And then you divide that by your discount rate, which is your required return. What should be a rational objective individual's required return for investing in that property? And by that, you, you get to to a property value. So that's certainly what a lot of the professionals will do, especially kind of the, the land development uh, pro- professionals. And if you look at research on REITs, often it will be framed in terms of what's their discount to NAV. And that NAV will normally be built up using that net operating income divided by required return to create a value. Nice. And so just to make sure like if our listeners aren't familiar with the term, the, the relative option, that's also called multiples, right? Like market multiples. Those are the same. Yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. M- multiples or yields. Uh, so, so any kind of re- ratio based and all you're doing is you're kind of, you're standardizing the value by breaking out value in terms of ratios or, or yields. Right. Right. Yeah. But I, I feel like I hear more about, I just wanted to make sure our listeners understood um, that yeah. that's the same thing. And so, which I think actually really makes the intrinsic um, valuation method really strong for short-term rentals because they can bring in so much more cash flow than long-term rentals. I've done a, a number of different kind of examples, but where one long-term rental, I've done this example on a previous episode, so our, like our listeners can go back and, and listen to how I got the numbers. But with one long-term rental, they could get, you know, like $100 a month in cash flow worth that same rental, if it was a short-term rental, could be upwards of 2,500. So I walked through the numbers of like, you could actually 25X your cash flow by converting a long-term rental to a short-term rental. So if you're walking through trying to get to a valuation using that intrinsic method, you can effectively, because the cash flow is the intrinsic value, kind of, I doubt that it would actually 25x the valuation of the property, right? Yeah, so That's, you, you know. it wouldn't be exactly that, but it, but it, it would often not be far off. So when you, when you value a property or a property company, um, you're, you're, you have to look at it objectively. So the whole idea, the, the key principle of valuation is that you are not valuing. It's not what's important to you. It's what's important to a rational, objective investor. And it, it's a bit like when you, you buy a property, right? Um, it may be run down, but as long as you can see the potential, the scope to kind of do it up, you're willing to pay more than what it would simply be kind of as, as is, as it were. And it, it's, it's a bit the same investment. That being said, if you can 25x your cash flow you're probably not 25x your valuation but but you're not particularly far far from that the the fact that you've been kind of able to evidence that you are able to create that kind of cash flow that that goes a long way it's kind of one thing somebody telling you that you can convert your loft it's another thing somebody's already converted and you can see it's done um you can see that put into practice so so it's it's certainly an important factor when you put into valuation Mm -hmm, definitely so how do these different types of valuations change with different economic conditions? Because we know we can obviously see retail property values going up and down based on economic conditions, but how do company valuations or property valuations change? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a great question. So in terms of the underlying valuation technique that they should kind of relatively steady over the cycle. In fact, what you find quite often is that as you go into a kind of bubble period within the property market or in any financial asset class, people will often use kind of relative valuation a bit more. And then when you're kind of down in the doldrums and you need to be able to justify a higher valuation, often kind of intrinsic valuation. So using a kind of discounted cash flow based valuation, which kind of looks further into the future, it is, is used more. 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so buyers and sellers can use the different methods to get to kind of work into maybe the the number that they want, either to yes. buy or either to sell. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, all else equal, intrinsic valuation is preferred typically by a lot of professional buyers and sellers, simply for the reason that you can often take a longer term outlook. So for the net operating income, you can look, you, you might model that three or five years forward. And so you can look for a crisis where maybe I don't know, rentals have dropped kind of 20% and you can say, look, this has been the long-term average adjusted for inflation. This is what it probably will be kind of 12 months after the cycle finishes. Got it. So tried and true, the long-term approach, even in the short-term rental market. I really like that. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's scary because often, often relative valuation, it will tell you to sell exactly when you should be buying because when mm. property value when property rental is depressed and income is depressed that will be kind of you, you'll get a dep- inflated uh, multiple for instance right and, and the, the same is true in a bubble market so I, I think it's always worth kind of being a bit cautious about multiples and very much framing them in terms of where you are in a given cycle yes that definitely makes sense so as i was looking through your site i came across this this list of quotes that you said capture a lot of insights and principles regarding investments. And I mean, I really enjoyed all of them actually, but one really stood out to me and it was the Peter Thiel quote, the most contrarian thing of all is not to oppose the crowds, but to think for yourself. No, yeah, I, I love that quote because so often investors are told, you told kind of that all the Warren, and I think Warren Buffett's got lots of great quotes, but like if you if you read through his quotes, there there are lots of like to, to be to be greedy when others are scared, basically just just to be contrary. Yeah. Like contrary. Well, sometimes sometimes crowds are right, right? <laughs> and like just being contrary for the sake of being contrary, I I, I think kind of can can put people in in hot water. So if property prices have, have been going down, there may actually be a reason for that. And and maybe it's not the right time. I think what people Peter feel kind of hit his his quote there really just to kind of think for yourself is exactly what people people should be doing. And I, and I looked at your website and I think that's very much kind of your, your, your take on it, being able to have an independent judgment for yourself and not having to rely on the wisdom of crowds goes a long way. Yes, very good. So I oftentimes reference the US market when it comes to short-term rentals, but I know many of our listeners live in other countries around the world. And you've mentioned you, you live in England and you've, you've lived in China and you've done a lot of you know international investing. So let's say our listeners are looking to invest in properties in countries other than the United States, maybe even emerging markets. What would you have them, I mean, would the approach, how would the approach be different? I mean, I'd always say for for individuals, first look at the tax. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you can get amazing rental yields, not so much so when you are kind of done for income tax or upon sale capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So I think that should always be front of mind. And, and also property rights, especially when looking in emerging markets. Again, you can find some phenomenal opportunities sometimes there. But in any instance uh, where you not being on the ground in that geography is an issue and where somebody may try and have a counterclaim on those property rights, you simply do not want to get involved. That making sure wherever you in, invest in terms of property has pr- proper rule of law, I think, is kind of a absolutely fundamental to being able to realize a proper return. Definitely, definitely. And then with those kind of really important fundamentals in mind, the in, the rest of the investment kind of process, would you say, is relatively the same? You're looking for, you know, something that has either the potential, it has potentially its own intrinsic 
numbers already or yeah. how would the approach change once we know those those kind of the taxes and the property rights are set the basic valuation tools are actually value very similar one other key key variable which i'd say is extremely important is looking at interest rates in the com- in that country or, or more specifically interest rate differentials I think people often overlook currency. And if you're American, you should be thinking about your dollar return over the time. Over time. So again, take another very extreme example. Um, so US, you, you've got nearly negative interest rates, I don't know, sub 1% probably at the moment. If you look at somewhere like Nigeria, often periods you have had 15, 20%, 20% plus in interest rates. And the, the currency there uh, ha- has dropped as a, as a consequence of that annually, quite considerably so. So even if you're making 20% gain on your, on your rental income, if you're losing 30% on, on the currency, right. uh, then you're actually net net losing in dollar terms. This isn't important when globally rates are very low across most countries, but this is kind of un, un, a very unusual time for the global economy. Typically, and, and when I say typically, if you're buying a property in that in a, in a country, you should be thinking about this now because you're not just buying for kind of 20 seconds, 20 minutes. You're, you should be thinking 20 years forward. Um, so, so you should be looking at normal rates of inflation and ev- everything else just to make sure that the, the real value of your property um, will not be undermined over time uh, due, due to variables like that. Very, very smart. So let's talk about your book. It is called the Company Valuation Playbook, and it actually looks really interesting to me. So who did you write this for? Well, to be frank, actually, I I wrote this for effectively a younger me when I got into the industry. There is so much noise out there about valuation. And and there's a lot of, there's quite a bit of information on the internet that kind of skims across it. And I I always think a bit of, a bit of knowledge is often so much more dangerous um, then no knowledge at all because you're given a bit and you think that you can trade stocks and and and, and buy and sell and I, and I was kind of in that situation quite early on and actually it's a field unto itself um, when, when you kind of really understand what the professionals who, who work in kind of the buy side and sell sell side in in the financial industry that those kind of tools that they use um, it can just allow you to kind of invest with invest with far more confidence the site, subtitle of it is actually in, in invest invest with confidence and there's not really any other kind of book out there like it there's plenty of books plenty of brilliant books that tells you what makes a good business kind of warren buffett Benjamin Graham, all of these books also telling you that you should invest with a margin of error, you should kind of invest in value companies, etc. But there's nobody really that tells you, well, what makes a great investment? What, it, how do you actually value a company and determine if, if you're underpaying or overpaying for that? Brilliant. So what are some of the biggest takeaways your readers can look forward to? I think the, the biggest takeaway that I, I hope they kind of all, all have is, is that markets do up, go up, go up all the time. Um, they, there is considerable opportunity out there for, the, for those that are willing to kind of to do a bit of work and to take a bottom up of approach you, you can make kind of quite remarkable gains um, in in capital markets at, at the same time I'd caveat that is saying n- never invest more than you can afford to lose the, the book is all about kind of swinging the odds in your favor um, nothing's guaranteed don't don't believe anybody that tells you that, that you will be making a guaranteed risk-free return uh, there simply isn't anything like that out there so, so this is just about stacking the deck in your, your favor and hopefully making kind of good returns over time. Love it. Well, where can listeners find out more about you and your book? I've got a website, as you, as you alluded to earlier, uh, companyvaluationplaybook.com. Uh, so details on the books, the chapter breakdowns, and a bit of myself, uh, it's all on that website. 
Wonderful, wonderful. And I will make sure to include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Charles, for joining us on Up Level today and bringing us through the lens of how we can potentially value our short-term rental properties. Many thanks for having me on, Ginny. 